time to get spooky with tales from the hunt. From the heart of Music City in Nashville, Tennessee. Straight out of the Flynn Hendricks Enterprise Studios, we bring you our hosts, just Jeff and Flynn Hendricks for Tales from the Haunt. <laughs> Are you needing some decals made? Maybe some vinyl or monograms? Then you need to go check out my wife's Etsy shop at Decals by Kins. That's K-Y-N-S. Go over to Etsy.com slash shop slash Decals by Kins and you can check that in the show notes as well and see what she's done for other people and see what she can do for you. And I'm speaking from experience here. All of my water bottles, my protein bottles, they all have something that she's printed and put on there and those things last. So if you need something like that for a gift, for your family, for your kids, or even for yourself, go check out what she can do for you. And as a special treat for my listeners, if you use the promo code Flynn, that's F-L-Y-N-N, she's even going to get you 10% off your order. Now you can't beat that. So go check it out and see what she can do for you. And I know you hear me. Welcome back, everybody. We are in studio for another terrifying episode of Tales from the Haunt. And if this is your first episode tuning in, you picked a pretty badass one to start with. And let me introduce myself first and foremost. My name is Flynn Hendricks, and the guy over here to my left, I know you can't see him, but I'm sitting here looking at him in his cow costume. He's changed from the goat last time, but anyway... He's the guy that makes this show sound as pretty as it does. He makes all the podcasts we do come through loud and clear, puts those nice little musical intros and all that fun stuff in. The Jefferson Starship, the man behind the curtain, just Jeff. Hey, everybody. And guys, we have got a special episode on deck for you here. But before we get into that, we got to thank you all for tuning in this week. And we got to ask a little question. Jeff, how many people do you think have subscribed to this show? Um, I've seen the numbers, but they go up daily, so I don't know. And would you say that only the cool kids subscribe to this show? Oh, absolutely. So if you haven't subscribed yet and you want to be one of the cool kids, I'm going to make it real simple for you. We got links in the show notes. You can find this show and any other podcast we do, like the I Know You Hear Me podcast, on all available podcasting platforms. Amazon, Apple, Google, Spotify, Anchor, you name it, we are there. Go on there. Listen to this episode, then go jump back to episode one, learn about us, and go through our archive of guests because we got something for everybody in the haunt world. And when we're done, not only should you get that word of mouth out there and share it, but you should leave a five-star and a written review. And then, Jeff, we had some pretty exciting news this morning, too, because uh, we've got some merch in the works, don't we? Yeah, yep, we do. Yeah, so maybe that uh, dogs don't lay egg thing won't die yet, but or maybe it died, we brought it back, I don't know, whatever. But we're going to have a shirt for dogs don't lay eggs, and much to my chagrin, we're going to be selling it for you guys. So if you want to order from us directly, doesn't matter where you live, we will ship it to you, and you will be supporting this podcast. Or if you want a Flynn shirt, a wrestling shirt, we got those too, and you can even check out my Pro Wrestling Tees link in the, in the notes below. And every shirt purchase that you do will not only benefit this podcast, but it will also help the Nashville Humane Society because a portion of every sale that we make will go to the Nashville Humane Society to help those fur babies and help them find their forever homes. But not only that, we got a little special treat for you too. When you get that merch, if you take a picture of you rocking it and being the cool kid again, 
tag us in it, and we'll give you a shout-out on the podcast. We'll give you a shout-out on social media, and we'll make sure that people know you're part of the Cool Kids Club. Does that sound like a good deal, Jeff? Yeah, I, I, I always enjoyed being part of the Cool Kids Club. So Absolutely. But to do that, though, that means you got to connect with us on social media, and you know that we're on all social media platforms. So check those show notes, get connected, get that word of mouth, and leave that five-star review. Guys, we have got a veteran of the haunt industry. This is a guy that we have been counting down to talk to, and we're not just saying this because he's on the line with us. This guy has been one that has intrigued us since we put the feelers out to see if he was even interested. Lo and behold, he was, and now we are just happy to have him on the line. It is our pleasure to have on the show tonight, Alan Hops. Alan, thanks for joining us, man. Oh, I'm more than happy to join you. This is awesome. Any opportunity to talk haunted house. Yes, sir. And as we're just going to jump right into it, man, because I want to know what got you into the world of just scare acting, haunted houses, all things spooky and horror. What started that for you? Um, so I did not come at it from a I love Halloween angle. Mm-hmm. I came at it from an I love monsters angle. Oh, it, my my life kind of result revolves around monsters. Mm-hmm. As a kid, I loved monsters, and um, uh, at ten years old, I went. I walked to a haunted house that was near my grandmother's house, and I said, "You know, let me scare people," and they did. And then uh, the next year, I sort of put myself together a werewolf costume, and wow. from the age of eleven to the age of probably fifteen. Um, I had a duffel bag and I would walk up to a haunted house and I would say, I want to be the wolf man. I'm only going to be the wolf man. I have my own costume and I want you to pay me. And this was in, you know, 87, you know, wow. <laughs> start starting as early as 87. But I, I knew what I wanted to do. I wanted to be a wolf man. That's all I really wanted to do. Um, and uh, many, many haunts took me up on that. Then I graduated high school and I moved to Orlando to work at Terror on Church Street full time, mm-hmm. which was the year round haunted house down there. And then from there, I went to Skull Kingdom, which was a different year round haunted house. Um, and every October, because it was a year round full time job, I used vacation time and I would go to a different haunt around the country to learn. So I would go and work at Spooky World. I would go and work, you know. Uh, the, as many places, as many big haunts as I could. And that's how I ended up in Texas. Um, I, I ended up in Texas because I came to work here in 01 and I met my wife. I did, she did not know she was going to be my wife, but I did. So <laughs> That's usually how it goes. That's usually how it goes. Man, that, there's so many questions that jump out to me from that story. Just like one, though, the confidence and, and the gravitas you had at such a young age, like, where did that develop and like how supportive was your family of this when they see this interest in monsters blossoming and developing and then you're just you're taking it by the neck and you know just going to these different haunted attractions and laying down the law like how did all that like just come to be well so my my mother wanted to be an artist and of course she was told by her family that no you can't do that you have to do something practical mm-hmm. and so her being a frustrated artist um, she, she was more, way more supportive of me doing art. And I, I had an affinity to art, um, in some kind or another. And, uh, I was able pretty quickly to, to make some decent money at it. Uh, not, not necessarily at haunting, but we had, there was a Renaissance fair in Maryland 
and I was, I don't know, maybe 14, 15, and I made mermaids for them and sold them. Wow. The, the, the skeleton mermaids. Um, they were, it was corpse bluckies that I turned into mermaids and, you know, just, uh, all kinds of little art projects that, that did okay. I painted murals for a while and, and did that kind of stuff, but I knew what I wanted to do. And I, from a very young age, it was, if it doesn't make you happy, why would you do it? And I think I saw my mother in a job that she did not enjoy, you know, I, and there's so many, when, when you have the option, you know, I'd, I, you know, I'd rather, I'd rather be happy and poor, you know? Absolutely. I, I, I know, I know I've, I've made, I've built haunted houses for several millionaires and, uh, I wouldn't trade with them because I'm just a happier guy. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know? I mean, it's money, money can't buy happiness. That, that, that old saying, it sounds cliche, but it's so true. And yeah. on top of that too, speaking about being happy and just enjoying what you're doing, with you starting in the business so young, how did you maintain that passion for so long, even into what you're doing now? Like, how does that fire stay stoked the entire time? Well, it's, it's actually pretty simple because our business of haunting has so many facets. Absolutely. I can focus on actor training for years and I can learn and study acting stuff. I can learn and study character stuff for two or three years. If I get burned out on that, then I can study how to make costumes. You know, I, I can work on making costumes. I can work on stilts and stilt designs. Mm -hmm. And I go through these little phases of things that absolutely pertain to our industry, but are not, you know, the same path I was on four or five years ago. Yeah. And that's how just kind of now I look behind me. I've got this whole stack of skill sets like, oh, OK, mm -hmm. uh, you know, now I, you know, now I know how to do a lot of that stuff. And uh, it's, it's just from, I don't, I don't want to burn out. So I will go from, you know, right now I'm teaching myself how to digital sculpt in blender so I can, you know, do some 3d printing things. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm learning EVA phone because that's a, that's a medium of the future that haunters haven't quite grasped yet, but we're getting there. Um, and I, I try to look at the industry as a whole and see where it's headed next and, try to learn that so that when others are, are stepping onto that wobbly platform, I can give them some good advice. Absolutely, man. That's so, those are wise words right there too. Even like outside of the haunt world that people can just take and apply to their everyday life, whether it's a job or just something that you're passionate about, find out about the other things that go on with it. Because then if you do get involved in that world, you not only have ways to better yourself, but you also find ways to make yourself more valuable, keep challenging yourself and keep growing and developing as a person. And like just what you said right there, right now my focus is on teaching, you know, like teaching scare actors and learning more about that side of it too. Like that's just, it, it's absolutely amazing how it's such a broad world that you can't even like, you could dip your toe in or throw a rock and you're throwing it in an ocean because there's so much out there to learn. And then you can go to the next facet that maybe, like you said, designing, set building, whatever it may be. There's so much out there to just keep you immersed. And I, I love that you have that mentality and that mindset to avoid the burnout and letting it become just, you know, a quote unquote job, but you stay passionate and stay happy with what you're doing. A sentence that was told to me once uh, when someone told us that they were, they were quitting because they were burned out. And the, uh, the older guy who, uh, 
no craps given uh, who, who was talking at the time. He said, you're not burnout. You were never on fire. Um, and, you know, just the, the when I heard that, maybe I was 18, 19 years old um, to hear that and go, I, you know what? I can be on fire the whole time as long as I keep feeding that fire and have a good a good, you know, oxygen ignition source. And I also had the advantage of I, I got to I moved to Orlando. I graduated. When I was 17, not 18. I just I graduated a little bit early because my birthday's in July. So, you know, the school year was a little wonky mm -hmm. for me. Yep. Um, so I'm technically 17, still working, doing my my life's goal. I set up my life's goal from the time I was, I think, 13 or 14 and heard about year round haunted house acting. I knew I could do it for a living. Um, I accomplished my life's goal at 17 and wow. I think I made $8 and 25 cents an hour. And I thought, well, this, this is not enough, you know? So then, you know, how can I work in this industry and, so, and stay in the industry, but make more money? Man. So you can, you can make money working at a haunt, owning a haunt, selling things to haunts selling things to people who work at haunts. You know, there's a lot of avenues to go down and things to explore. Very, very true. Mm -hmm. That's, oh man, I just love how you develop that mindset at such a young age and have still been applying it, you know, as, as life has gone on. That's so, I don't want to say rare, but it's so special when you find that mindset because you never stop growing as a person after that. It's so, it's so amazing. Uh, absolutely. It's, uh, it's, it's a helpful mindset to know that, you know, I'm going to, I'm learning a skill set right now and that's going to help me in the future. Absolutely. Um, that's, uh, it's just, uh, it's, it's a useful tool. Um, lo love to learn, you know, if you love to learn then your life is going to be easier than if you don't. That's mm -hmm. it. That yep. is it. And then you, you said something interesting too, about working for a year round haunt. What was that like, you know, compared to like the the seasonal haunts that are so traditional or the ones that pop up, you know, like with a halfway to Halloween event or a special holiday event? Like, what's it like to work in one year round? Well, um, in all honesty, I while I loved it, I loved being a monster. I loved the performance aspect of it. Mm -hmm. It was every day was a day at work. Uh, Halloween was a just, you know, it was a busy day at work. You know, uh, and honestly, because in Orlando of how that market works, we were busier in the summer than we were during October. Oh, I bet. So, you know, it's and it's a lot of uh, tourists, you know, who come and and what they're expecting intensity wise is not, you know, they normally are not ready for a, a super intense haunt actor, you know, in their element in a uh, haunted house they're walking through in June, you know. I've, uh, I've, I've, I've scared a lot of British people until they were angry, <laughs> you know, and then, and then you scare through that and they get scared again. Oh man. Yeah. It's, uh, <laughs> about, I, I, I had such a ton of fun. Um, and it was, it was a great place to grow up. Cause again, I was there from 17 until I was 22. Um, at uh at Terror Church Street in Skull Kingdom and just being there no I think I was I might have been 24 I think I was 24 25 when I left but anyway I learned a ton and it was it, it was a lifestyle 
you know i i was a monster that was was really cool about it um you know you 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 wake up and uh you're friends with the guys who work at the haunt and mm-hmm. you you meet up and you you go to a buffet there and you you have you, know, you fuel up and then you you get to the haunt you get in costume you all go to your sets and uh scare the crap out of people for hours and hours and then um at, at the end of the night you shut it down and you either go sword fight with wooden swords in the parking lot out back or you <laughs> go to the go to the break room and play D until four in the morning oh, man. um it was it was a really great place to grow up it, it sounds like you just merged so much of like the professional wrestling lifestyle into that as well that's so awesome and yeah. when, when you do that too and you you have that ritual that you do every day did you ever find it hard to shut the monster off at the end of the day and go back to Alan or even you know like get the monster out in the morning and get into character or did you just have your ritual and what you did down to a science that it was just like clockwork it would happen for like let's see so i started haunting at 10 Mm -hmm. i and i started doing actual like at 10 years old i was up in a ceiling with uh you know the ceiling tile removed and i dropped a spider down on on a fishing pole and and that's how i scared people when i was 10 and then i i like okay i want to be down there with them i want to be in them and i want to be jumping at them um so I, I was a masked character. I put a mask on mm-hmm. up until I think 1998, you know, so from uh, 87 to 98, I was a mask all the time. And putting that mask on was the trigger. You know, then I had I had I had monster vision, you know, and once you have mm-hmm. monster vision, you're looking out of the eye holes of that mask. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was just so freeing to me. And, yeah, you know, my favorite characters, favorite character is the Wolfman because. All right. So do we do we have time to talk? Oh, weird absolutely. Stuff? Yeah, please. Oh, do. Yeah, okay. absolutely. So there's only there's only two monsters in the whole world. All right. There's Frankenstein and the Wolfman because it is either a monster that we made Frankenstein or it is the monster that's inside of us. And that's the Wolfman. Like those are the Damn. most pure forms like if you name any monster, it could be Pumpkinhead. Well, didn't you have to enact a curse and you made that monster? That's Frankenstein. Okay. Yeah. Um, Godzilla. Well, didn't isn't his origin story that we bombed Bikini Island and the radiation made him, and that's Frankenstein. Mister Hyde. You know, that's that's obviously that's that's another version of the Wolfman. It's either the monster inside of us, or it is uh, a monster that we made. Wow. I've never and, looked at it like that before. That's that's awesome. <laughs> that is... if, if it's not, if it's not one of those, then it's just nature. King Kong is just nature. That's a fair. You know? Yeah, you can't argue that. So that's not a monster. Wow, I just got my mind blown on this podcast. The the Gill Man is just nature. You know. Yeah, and Jeff Reba McIntyre is just nature too. So. <laughs> For those that don't know, Jeff thought Reba McIntyre was a cryptid. Not to throw that in, but. I saw my spot, <laughs> but I that... can, I can see that. I'm not sure all parts of her are natural, but. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Oh, I, I don't even know how uh... we, <laughs> but that is, man, that is so deep. And I didn't even think about that, but it's so true because it's either the monster inside you or the monster you create. And that's 
Oh man, that's that's the epitome of the villain origin story in just about like every movie as well. You either live long enough to see yourself become the villain, or you die the hero, or you the hero was a bully growing up, so that creates the villain. And you know, it just man, I, I'm sorry, my mind is blown, and I'm gonna stumble over my words if I don't stop. Jeff, take it <laughs> over for a minute. That's what damn, that's deep. What was it for you that made you like the monster? versus halloween in everything um, spooky well my first halloween costume that i remember i was a construction worker because my mom picked it you know here's your here's your yellow play school hard hat here's your play school tool belt and here is your um eyebrow pencil mustache that <laughs> that she drew on me so i could be a little uh, construction worker um so halloween and I, I did not, I didn't think that was very cool, <laughs> you know? So Halloween didn't have this huge association of it's, that's the most awesome thing. I knew it was a time when I loved going into stores because all the Halloween monster merchandise was there. But um, I didn't like the club that also had all the princesses in it and all of the, you know, so Halloween is, was so encompassing. It wasn't just monsters. Um, and I, I wanted I wanted the world to be monsters and I took my monsters very seriously. Yeah. Um, and, and I kind of agree with you on that. Like I, I used to be that one that would go in the Halloween aisle at Walmart or whatever store it may be and look at the monster stuff and the scary stuff. And then I would get to the aisle that had, you know, all the cute cuddly stuff. And I'm like, this isn't Halloween. Like it's just not, yeah, you know, I, I I, I, I know what my Halloween should be, but you know what? If if that other aspect of Halloween makes you happy, then by all means, go for it. Yeah. Maybe um, maybe the spooky, I scary want... people want to be soft and cuddly. Who knows? <laughs> I mean, that, that's exactly right, though, because I, I think I'm on the same page with y'all. I want terror. I want to be scared. I want to see the monsters more than anything else. But, that, mm -hmm. again, that's just me. But... Yeah, and at all, like also, though, as a kid, I was terrified. I was terrified of the dark. I was terrified of all kinds of things. And I knew that the easiest and best way to overcome that fear was to make friends with the monsters. Yeah. Well, Flint's still afraid of the dark, so. No, I'm afraid of snakes. Dark, I'm fine with. <laughs> but that, that that's actually a fascinating point because um, now that you say that, like, we've had so many guests on the show here that are scare actors now that were terrified of haunted houses growing up. Like, they just hated them, would have to take a Xanax to go in or whatever it was they said that they did, but then they become scare actors and they get involved in the haunt world. I think, you know, and we've never been able to put a, a pin on what actually does that, but I think it's what you just said and, you know, confronting that fear and making friends with it. That's, that's a fascinating, a fascinating way to look at that. And as much as that, it's, it's becoming it. Yep. Um, if I work hard and I train, then I'm the scariest thing in the dark. Mm -hmm. And that's what I want. You know, um, everybody is a monster. I've just trained mine. That's you know, it. And... Um, people ask all the time if I'm, if I, if I scare my wife at home and stuff, no, I'm a professional. No one gets it for free. <laughs> yes. So yes. I, I, I'm a professional monster. Wouldn't it be awesome? if everybody's monster only came out when they wanted it to 
only came out when it could do some good. Train your monster, people. Man, these are wise. You guys are getting like free life lessons on this podcast here tonight. <laughs> that is amazing. And that's that actually brings that that level of authenticity that we've talked to about it as well because if you confront that fear, you become friends with what scared you and you train that monster, you're bringing your own unique fears to that character that you're portraying mm-hmm. and you're able to project it out to the, the patrons that come in the house. Like this is putting all the pieces together for me. This is amazing. Yeah. And and with you saying train your monster, that makes me come into my question because I know at Transworld you have done um, you know, the seminars of character development and all of those other things. Um, for the ones that haven't been to your seminars, what kind of advice could you give them on character development that are in the early stages of making their own characters? So, boy, um, character development is something kind of near and dear to my heart. Um, I've always looked at it from the attractions viewpoint. What type of characters does the attraction need? Um, so, you, you can successfully make a character in isolation, but in order for that character to be super successful, it needs to fulfill a role and a need in the attraction that it's in. Mm-hmm. Uh, then it becomes part of the, the lore. It becomes part of the history, and it, it really becomes something necessary um, and bigger, bigger than just what you're going to make it. Um, but if you are making your own character, I'm gonna, I have some odd advice for you. Think about what your what you want your character's threat to be, um, and start with your character's silhouette. You need to have a recognizable silhouette, whether it is um, a a TV show character, a movie character, a haunt character, or a wrestling character. Well, why was The Undertaker so successful? Because he started with that silhouette, the hat, mm-hmm. and the coat, and he's backlit. And as soon as he's backlit, you know exactly who he is. Mm-hmm. You know, the silhouette does the work. And it's so dark where we're at in the haunted house sometimes. And they, they you, it, it became a little, silhouette became more important the COVID year when you stayed a little bit further away. So if they saw you, from 10 feet away instead of you jumping out when they were two feet away they saw more of you so it became yeah. more useful of a tool but think about what kind of threat do you want this character to be uh i think some people err on the side of they're going for like comedy gold and you know and, and it hap- it happens um they i think the co- comedy will happen if they want to make a comedic comedic character comedy is going to happen but think about the scare first do you want to be a threat to their soul spirit and mind or do you want to be a threat to their a physical threat to their body because that determines your silhouette anything any character that attacks your soul spirit or mind or heart uh, always has a daphnia silhouette think about um the grim reaper robes what does he do he takes your soul think about the dementors who suck your soul out through your mouth Mm. they have those tattery that tattery look think about a mountain lion very sleek in look very sleek tight to the body they will slash you with claws there's no soul damage there at all um 
think about a tiger pretty sleek and tigers there's not a lot of spiritual aspect to tigers they will slash you up but then you go to a lion who has that flowing mane and the sharp claws and the and the tight body they're both a physical threat and the heart of a lion you hear that all the time they have a spiritual element think about super successful characters like darth vader who has the hard sleek armor he is a threat to you physically with his with his lightsaber with that hard sleek look Mm -hmm. and then he has this long flowing cape because he also knows how to use the force and attack your spirit you know attack your energy um go to both sides of darth vader luke skywalker he's not that great with the force so what does he what does he look like in um return of the jedi and empire he's got the black suit and it's all tight and slick he's not a threat mentally he is a physical threat he's learned how to master the lightsaber and the flips go to the other side emperor palpatine who he's not a physical threat at all he's you know made of toothpicks and wallpaper paste you know that's all he's made of he's 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 nothing physically so he's all flowy robes but he can shoot electricity out of his hands like nobody's business because he is a threat to your soul so think about that as character development wise what is my threat like and then i build myself for that build your silhouette wow I am enjoying every bit of this and it all just makes so much sense and it's so great. Man, thank um, you for sharing that. Oh, damn. I... For for a while, um, I took ninjutsu in order to be a better haunter because they were about ninja mind control and they were about hiding and they were, you know, there was a lot of cool things about ninjutsu that I thought I could use for the haunt world. Hmm. Um, so I did that about seven years. Um and but in that one of the things that i learned that i will always remember is how you see and how you see things and the first thing that you see is silhouette um the and that's especially true with men men see silhouette first 100 percent um and then the second thing that you see well the first thing you see is movement obviously and then the second thing you see is silhouette and then the last thing you see is color that's the last thing so why can't men find things in the fridge we can't find the ketchup bottle if it's laying down because we are looking for the silhouette of that standing up ketchup bottle we don't care that it's red we're looking for the silhouette women they tend to uh they're 50 50 as far as silhouette and color there's there's just roots in why that's true because of what our jobs were you know, kind of throughout time. If you look at modern people, you know, in the timeline of 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 humanity, we're we're a grain of sand on a football field. You know, mm-hmm. that's all that we are. That's how long we've been there. Um, so we still have you know genetic memory and genetic fears and stuff inside of us. But that how to see the the feminine job before, not now. It's a modern world was was uh gathering so they they looked for color i need this berry i need this wheat i need you know they look for color and they're identifying shapes and colors very important to them we wait for something to move then we throw a rock at it you know that's 
that's how our brain is wired to see and identify things. Um, and that's, that's of course, slowly changing, but anything we do to change that, we're fighting all of that history in our brain. Um, I forgot why. Oh yeah. So anyway, but, but that learning how to see was huge for me, um, in, in my design choices, you know, start with your character silhouette, use that silhouette because if they can tell that you're a physical threat just by looking at you, then, you know, from a silhouette standpoint, your work is halfway done. That's true. Wow. That's, that, that's some deep stuff. Like That really and, is. I'm just going to stay over here in my lane and continue to process all of these knowledge nuggets that were just dropped because it all makes so much damn it sense, dude. It's... Man. What's what's crazy is he's you're sitting there talking about all of that, and in my mind I'm I'm building a character right now. I've got the costume for, and in my mind everything you said stands true for exactly how my character is, because well, and it's it's flowing robes, and it's a character that can attack your soul, and and it's not a physical character. But then you, I'm, it's, I'm I'm just blown. Those are design Blank. rules that we kind of know and we accept, but no one ever says it out loud. Like no one, no one like says it, do this and this and this, yeah. you know, it's just, we have, we've seen so many examples of it over time. That's how our brains are kind of trained in order to, uh, to, to figure it out. <laughs> oh man. That's that, is, that is amazing. Yeah. <sighs> Man, I feel like we could just go off on a philosophical tangent here, but if I if we do, like we would never get any sleep, and we would just make this a like, multi part episode. But oh my god, that is so fascinating, and I'm just I'm giddy hearing all that stuff because it's so awesome to hear it just so articulately described and using things that are right up my alley to describe. It. Like that just man, that made my night. But you know, in, in saying all that too. Um, like, let's talk about younger actors that are getting into the scare acting world because the 2021 season was my first season, like, doing anything in the scare world. What kind of advice would Wait, you... Wait, say, say that again. Uh, the 2021 season was my first time, like, being a scare actor. You're a baby. I know, <laughs> I know. And I'm coming to find out, too, that it was, that, it was like that way for a lot of people. So, like, even for somebody, like new and green like me or somebody that may be thinking about jumping into the world what kind of advice would you give to uh to newer actors or people that want to take that leap outside of the the character development like just gold mine you you poured on us so you're looking for advice for new actors yes all right so here is my number one piece of advice it is all about your character introduction because you are in a scene, you are in a set and what you are basically doing, you're spending maybe five to 10 seconds with these people. You are introducing your character to these people over and over again, thousands of times a night, you're introducing your character. You do not need a super deep character backstory because there's no narrator to tell people how badass you are. There's mm -hmm. no narrator to tell them, you know, 
you are the second cousin's brother to Vlad Dracula's roommate, and that's why you're awesome. Huh. No one's going to say that, you know. So that's that's not an important part of your backstory. Right. What's important about your backstory is things that they can see, you know, things that that you're you're showing them, um, and work on introducing your character to every group not by walking up and saying hi i'm this you know um but when okay so i'm going to talk for a second about character introductions yeah all right there are a finite number of perfect character introductions in movies um i will say uh, darth vader has a really good character introduction because there's there's laser fire and there's smoke and there's chaos all around the white the walls are white everything is white and he steps out in he steps out holding his lightsaber which is a sword he's completely out of time he's wearing a cape he has a sword in the middle of a laser battle right and he owns it as soon as he shows up, that battle revolves around him, and he is the most dangerous thing in the space. Uh, he uses the force in his introduction. Uh, he uses his lightsaber in his introduction, and you learn that he is untouchable, that he is emotionless and cold, um, and his character introduction is so strong, it saved Rogue One when they used that as, the, as his character introduction. They used a second time in rogue one at the very end yep you know and that was the strongest part of rogue one. Oh um, man yeah so so it, and it's because it's darth vader's character introduction and you're reminded again by seeing that of his whole saga and everything um and it's all wrapped up in that moment that's a really good character i think the best character introduction ever is captain jack sparrow um, because how the first Pirates of the Caribbean starts, or at least his part of it starts, is it is a tight shot on Jack Sparrow's, you know, face, like this much of his face. And, it, and it, the camera just keeps pulling back. And as it pulls back, it reveals uh, Jack Sparrow is handsome. Uh, he's looking off in the distance. So... You know, he's looking off in the distance and it's obviously he's on the ocean. And then you see the the Chinese coin braided into his hair. You see the pirate bandana. He's a pirate. He's a man of action. He's well-traveled. Uh, it goes back further and you can see that he is daring and adventurous because he's standing up on the crow's nest of a ship. And then as it pulls back, you know, he's handsome. He's daring. He's well-traveled. Uh, he's rugged. Uh, he has a sword, you know, and he's all these things. And it pulls back enough for you to see his ship is sinking. And that's why he's up on the crow's nest. And you, <laughs> he is an absolute screw up. And you learn that in the first five seconds of the movie. And then the it's it sinks all the way down where you think he's going to drown and go underwater. And he steps off onto the, onto the dock. Remember that? Yeah. He steps <laughs> off onto the dock. And when he does that, that is the first, you know, 10, 15 seconds of the movie. And you learn about him. All of those things that I said, that he is a screw up, but he is also a golden boy. And that nothing, no matter what happens or how bad it is, it's going to come out all right for Jack Sparrow. Yep. 
and they tell you that in the first 10 seconds of the film man another amazing character introduction is how old are you i am 33 okay you might not remember this the original resident evil video game for playstation oh the original yeah. yep when they introduced the zombies that was one of the first games where they took over character mode where they took over they made a movie mode and you didn't control your character you just watched a movie happen mm -hmm. that was one of the first games to do that and so you're used to having control of your character and you're controlling your character and you get to a doorway and then you lose control and the character walks into the room the camera angle changes and you can see a person hunched over a body you haven't seen any zombies in this game yet mm -hmm. and there's a person hunched over the over a body and you hear chewing sounds and then the camera slowly pans in and this thing that's turned around turns and you see this scary zombie face and that scares the heck out of people you know that like back then that was terrifying for a video game and yeah in, in the middle of that panic they give you back control and don't really tell you very well but hey we gave you back control you know so you almost almost everybody got killed by the zombie that first go round because <laughs> you're like, oh crap i have the control again i was just oh. watching a movie um so but they wanted their zombies to be scary and they worked to make sure they could control that moment of character introduction so guests are coming into a set you know what way they're going to come into your set how are you going to introduce your character to them do you start with your back turn are you standing in the middle of the room owning that space because that, that's a different feeling you know mm -hmm. that's a different way to introduce your character you know you've you've almost like taken stage right in the middle of the room and I'll, I'll play with all of these things until I figure out what feels right for the character that I'm playing that night. Um, it, it, it could be, you know, hiding in the corner. It could be, you know, playing the dead body from Saw until they get in the middle of the room and then I pop up, you know. Um, it, it could be making sure that I'm in hiding and then I pop out of hiding. What has the person in the set before you done? What was their character introduction like? Do you want it to be similar to support the narrative that they've created? Or do you want to make it different in order to hit and appeal to a different style of audience? Because they scare the people who are afraid of people hiding and jumping out. So then you're going to scare the people who, if you're standing in the center of the room, you know, you're, you're owning that space. And then you're, you are scaring them by your absolute confidence, you know, uh, and that's a different type of customer and you're hitting different notes as the people around you. Yeah. So man. be aware enough to control your character introduction and be aware enough to know the character introduction of the people around you so that you're either hitting same notes or supporting the narrative and telling the whole story. Wow, man, that is a powerful, powerful lesson right there. That is amazing. Thank you for sharing that. Man, that's... well, you asked. Of course, of course, <laughs> and I appreciate the generosity more than I can say. That is amazing. Oh man, Jeff, you got any questions that you want to ask on this one? Oh, I'm just taking it all in. <laughs> I, I knew this was going to be a good one, and I didn't realize it was going to be this good. <laughs> I, I have the advantage in my life that haunted houses is all I've done. 
I haven't done anything else to pay the bills um, aside from haunting and making monsters. So that's literally all that I think about. It's all that I think about um, haunted houses and making monsters. Haunted houses are such a big part of my life. Um, I see them as a, and I don't think the world knows how important they are. Um, during COVID, there's been a lot of studying of why did people who like horror fare better during lockdown and during the whole COVID crisis? It's because they're prepping themselves to deal with adversity. So wow. in all honesty, it's just, it's mental preparation there. So there is a, there was a study done on, on kids playing basketball and it was, they had three groups, you know, there was a control group, but there are three groups. And over the summer, they said, okay, this group, all I want you guys to do, um, you're not going to do anything. Don't practice basketball. Don't do anything. Don't do any practice. They're like, okay. The second group, they said, you're going to go to practice three times a week. Okay. And then the, the last group, I don't want you to go to practice, but I want you to think about playing basketball for an hour a day. Think about passing. Think about dribbling. Imagine yourself shooting and making baskets. What they found was uh, that next year, all those kids, the kids who didn't practice, no improvement. They actually got worse. The kids who did practice and the kids who thought about playing basketball uh, both improved the exact same amount. So when you're watching horror movies and you are like, man, that's not a very good survival thing to do, you know, and how often do you say that when you watch a horror movie or you're going through a haunt and like, you know, I, I probably shouldn't go down that dark hallway. You know, they want me to, but I probably shouldn't. You're actually prepping yourself to make better decisions in intense moments. Um, I'm a firm believer that an antelope never feels more alive than when it just got away from a lion. Mm. And when guests go through haunts, they get that, you know, they get to feel oh, yeah. that. Um, and, and they feel alive again. All of the crap that we're scared of and that worries us today really isn't a factor. What are, what are our real deep fears that we can't make mortgage that food prices are going to go so high we can't afford it, that the wrong political party is going to be voted into office, you know, that um, other people are going to be making decisions for us. Uh, we're afraid of our stupid HOA. You know, there's so many stupid things, and those aren't things that you can cry and scream about um, because it doesn't make any sense. But that's what really affects you on a stressful level. So you go into a haunted house not to get scared. You're already scared. This lets you put a face on it and you can scream it out. How many times in a haunted house do you see someone, a guest, scream, run away three steps, and then laugh? Because that's that pressure release. You put a face on their fear for them. It's something you made it something they were allowed and able to scream about. And that's what haunted houses does. And I think I think it has um, mental benefit to customers and actors alike. Yeah. Uh, actors certainly gained the confidence. Uh, I gained a huge amount of confidence as a 10, 11, 12 year old kid uh, because I can make adults scream and run away from me whenever I want. That's power. You know? Yeah, it is. Um, 
and if I can channel that power into conversations that I have and negotiations that I have, if I can just channel that confidence into talking to girls, how much better is that person's life going to be, you know, than, than people who don't have enough confidence. Yeah, very true. Yep. And since you got talking about um, the scare there itself, uh, what would you say your favorite all-time scare that you had as an actor in a haunt would be? Like walk one, us walk us through that scenario of what was going one on. One specific instance of a scare. Yeah, your favorite that you can. I know you've had a bunch, but or a favorite setup that got a scare every time. I Which say either, let's either, do both. Yeah, either, either one or both. Yeah. Okay, so my my favorite instance of a scare. All right, I, I have an easy one, and this is involves a celebrity. Um, uh, Shaquille O'Neal came through. Terror oh, on Church no. Street. It was Shaquille O'Neal and Jason Kidd was was with him, and uh, a bunch of what I assume were rented escorts, uh, from the looks of them. I'm sure they were all lovely ladies, but uh, probably four or five ladies with Shaquille O'Neal and Jason Kidd. And this was in Orlando, let's say 1995. I'm pretty sure it was 95 because it was at Terror on Church Street. And Shaquille O'Neal was the first person in the group. Uh, he is a very tall man. Um, when when you are someone who is not that tall attacking a tall person, I often go for the feet because the taller you are, you can't see their feet. Well, I was surprised. I was a wolf man. Um, and I jumped out and I went for his feet and uh, Shaq jumped backwards and he knocked over his whole group like dominoes. I then proceeded to swipe at him as the wolfman while walking forward. And he crab crawled backwards over his whole group, like hands on their face, um, you know, pushing them out of the side with his feet in order to get away from me. And I stepped over them also, but I didn't step on any of them My in order God. to keep Then He ended up at the back of the group. I had to jump over him in order to go then to a different set. So oh I will always remember Shaquille O'Neal crab crawling backwards over people to get away from him. If, if Shaq ever listens to this podcast and hears this, he's going to go, that guy. That was the guy. <laughs> well, uh, so what's funny is uh, like the next month, next month or it, it was pretty close to then, I had a side job. I was a rollerblading wolfman in downtown Orlando, and I handed out free admission flyers to a bar because I already had the wolfman costume. I rollerbladed, and uh, Shaq happened to be walking because he played for the Orlando Magic at the time. Um, uh, he happened to be downtown, and he's always a big draw as far as photos and stuff. So somewhere there is a lovely Asian family who has a picture of Shaq holding me like a baby in my wolfman costume and rollerblades and i just felt like a little kid in his arms at that oh point God. in time i think like i i might have weighed 180 and he he's just a mountain you know oh yeah god that is amazing oh my God. i was not expecting that either oh that is great but man speaking of things that we can't expect everybody knows what's coming now and 
Guys, you know the drill. We're about to call it in the ring here. It's Alan's turn to throw some questions our way. He's going to get two questions for each of us. We don't know what they're going to be about. We don't know even who he's going to ask first, and that's truly terrifying. So, Jeff, are you ready? Absolutely. Alan, are you ready? Yes. Brother, fire away then. We're at your mercy. All right. Since you are such a haunt baby. Oh, boy. My question for you in the 2021 season, which was just last year, right? Yes, sir. Um, multi-part. How many nights did you haunt? And what did you play? I was... I think I only didn't work um, three nights of the season. And two of those were work-related, and one was for a, a family event for my kids and everything. But I think in the grand scheme of things, including my corporate job, my acting gigs on the side, and then haunt season leading into Hell Week, I think I totaled up a day, a total of 75 days working straight. And, oh, I was ready to cross that finish line. But I was mainly outside as a Q-line actor, I played Icky the Clown, uh, then that mask got damaged, and by that point, they transitioned me over to a squid mask, which was like uh, almost similar to the Davy Jones get-up from Pirates of the Caribbean, so funny you mentioned Jack Sparrow, but I kind of got really comfortable in that character of the squid mask, and I started calling him Captain Danglebeard, and really... It was a chance for me because I was the smallest person outside as well. I'm maybe like five, 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 six on a good day. So I was able to get a nice little combination of not only scares for people that just hated, you know, having somebody sneak up behind them and feeling the tentacle like right beside the ear there and watching them bulldoze through people to get away outside in the lines. But I was also able to get the comedy effects out of it too. And it was just a nice, unique thing because it was something like people would forget I was there, then you could sneak right back up on them, or you could just come back and pop up with another joke or insult somebody because the biggest thing I was told that season was just be an asshole. Pirates are assholes. Be an asshole. And I just literally transitioned wrestling into that, and I would go back and do those 75 days straight all over again, just based off that. All right. Here's my second question. Yes. It is obvious that haunting has had an effect on you because you started a podcast about it. Absolutely. One year after within that first year of doing it, where do you see yourself in the haunt industry in five years? In five years, I would love to still be acting but I would love to be an acting coach to help people find character development and bring, uh, as we mentioned earlier in the show, that level of authenticity to these characters, the characters' backstories, the scene introductions, and just help them find their place in this world to bring the best of them to the performance and the haunt that they can they can possibly bring. Okay. Gotcha. Jeff. Yes. So <laughs> my my question to you, well, do you haunt? Yeah, yeah, I do. Okay. Where where do you haunt? Your your what what character did you do last year? 
Uh, last year I was actually um, what we call door host, so I was the one that was actually controlling um, the inflow into the haunt. But we also had a character, so I was kind of like a Sergeant Slaughter character at a zombie apocalypse type event. Um, if that makes sense. If that makes absolute sense. Did yeah. you enjoy that? I loved it. <laughs> okay. And how many years have you haunted? I have been haunting for 15, 16 years since 2006, 2007. What's the favorite character you ever played in life? My favorite, favorite character i have ever played was probably the year that i got to play like the vagrant homeless guy inside the haunt that just randomly roamed around people actually thought i was a loose crazy guy inside the haunt like they went to security people and told them like hey there's some guy in there roaming around he freaked us out you know that was me i loved it um, and, 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 I, and I think it's the fact that I got to push the boundaries of what felt real to them. You know, they thought I was an actual homeless person inside the haunt roaming versus, you know, in somewhere in their mind, that person is a paid actor. A, a lot of what we do is super fantasy and it's safe. Yep. You know, you can, you can walk through a set with a werewolf and know that you don't know anybody who was killed by a werewolf. Yeah, you know. Yep. But everybody knows somebody who was accosted by a homeless person. Yep. You know? <laughs> I've 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 always been that that guy that wants to push the boundaries of making someone feel uncomfortable in a haunt, because if you can get to that point of making them feel uncomfortable, then you're really in their feelings and emotions. Versus, like you said, if nobody's ever been killed by a werewolf, they know that's that's a creature, you know. So, other side of that, if I knock someone to the ground by scaring them as a werewolf, I know I earned it. Oh yeah, you know, yeah. Like yeah. that's that that's the other side of it that I really enjoy. Yeah, is that I'm I made you believe enough for a while that you fled. Yeah, um, and and a quick instance of that: this last event that we had, um, I was working in a cemetery scene. We have crypts and headstones and things like that. Um, between me and the other person that was in there working that scene, we kind of hit them with a one-two punch. I would give them that stalking feeling, and then she would come at him from the front. And we scared one kid so bad that he jumped into the middle of the, um, I guess you would call the props and things like that, the actual cemetery itself, uh -huh. and landed on top of one of the crypts. <laughs> It was a foam nice. crypt. He didn't hurt nothing. It was thick enough that, you know, he was light enough. It didn't hurt nothing. But the fact that he just jumped on top of it, curled up in a little ball, like, don't touch me, was just, you know, perfect. So that, that scare that you described of you being the slow and creepy and then her hitting them from the front. Yeah. Ever since Jurassic Park came out, that's called the clever girl. Because like if it. you remember when he describes the Velociraptor, there's one that you're watching, and that's the one that you're nervous about. Yep. And as soon as you focus on that one, boom, one hits you, mm -hmm. you know, and it, it's that hunter guy at the end that he's watching through yep. this goes, and he used to see it on his face. He remembers, oh, clever girl yep. ah, right on his face. <laughs> well, and the, the other girl that was in there with me, she's like a freaking ninja. So you can't hear her coming at you, 
until her knee pads hit the floor and start sliding across the floor. So you yeah. hear, you hear that, you know, iconic slider across polished concrete. I, I try to have something on me that always makes noise. Yep. Like, uh, when I, I have one character, I have a, a, a glove with metal fingers on it, yep. and a, a, a metal cleaver. And I walk around, I always tap it. So when I want to be invisible, I just stop tapping it. And then they don't hear me coming. Like they've associated that noise with me coming you know, every time they've seen me in line and then I stop doing that and then I'm invisible, you know? So that's oh, something yeah. that I incorporate into a lot of characters. I, I think I'll be, be coming up with something like that for my costume now. <laughs> Man, life lessons, character development lessons. We've covered such a broad spectrum here tonight and I feel like we barely scratched the surface. Oh yeah. Man, so this has so been awesome. It, it's just, well, I'm, I'm down if you want to have me on again sometime, oh, guys. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. Yes, sir. And we'll connect off air about that. But, man, yep. like, just thank you for being so generous with your time here and just being so open to tell your story and drop those, you know, like little, nu little nuggets of knowledge to help not only me as a baby actor, but anybody else that may be a veteran and is still learning. You're and baby. Yeah, I know. I'm the size <laughs> of a baby, too, but we don't talk about that. But uh, just thank you for everything tonight. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you, guys. I really appreciate you having me on. Of yep. course, of course. And we will definitely get that next episode booked here. And, guys, if you want to catch that episode for the love of all things terrifying and spooky, don't create a monster in us, but by all means, go create some more raving fans for this podcast and subscribe and share and leave those five-star reviews because you do not want to miss part two when that finally happens and we drop it to the world. So if you're needing that spooky fix between now and next Halloween, you know what to do. But, man, Alan, again, thank you for coming on and being so generous with your time. And, guys, as always, thank you for tuning in and listening. It means more than you know. Go check out the links. Get connected on social media. Share the podcast. Get the merch. Let us give you shout-outs, and let's help those fur babies. And get out in your community if you got a local haunt going on. Support. Get involved if you want, and ask how you can do it. And, um, you know, Jeff, before we get out of here tonight, is there anything that our listeners need to do that I haven't already covered before we come back again? Let's see. You covered merch. You covered five-star rating, liking, sharing, all of that good stuff. Um, checking out the show notes for all of Alan's information. Mm-hmm. Um, nope. I think you got it, man. I feel like there's something we should know it by now. It's, oh man, there, there's something. Why don't we so, keep doing this? Um, well, I'm trying to keep you on your toes. Oh, but, uh, man, there's this one thing, one thing. Um, we've, we've kicked the, the dogs and eggs thing away. Stay spooky. That's it. And I know you heard him on that. But in all seriousness, guys, thank you for tuning in. Thank you for subscribing. We'll be back in two weeks with another terrifying episode. So for Jeff, for Alan, for myself, we all thank you for tuning in. Stay spooky. Subscribe. And get out there and do some spooky things in the world.
thank you for listening this week, and we hope you'll tune in next time for another spooktacular episode. <laughs> Tales from the Haunt has been a Flynn Hendricks production. <laughs> <laughs>